Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Angela, and the young adults worship team leading us this morning. We so appreciate their ministry. You know, that really is our story this morning. It really boils down to Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That's the message we have to tell people. Amen? Kind of like that great theological song, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. We don't have to overcomplicate it. People don't need religion. We don't need another denomination, another church. People just need to know that Jesus loves us and that he can be ours. He loves us so much. He's made a way for that to happen. Well, again, welcome this morning. We're still in our March break. Keep our team in prayer. We have uh, 19 people who are down south ministering in the last couple of weeks. Um, so just keep them in prayer as they travel. They still have a long way to come home, leaving, I think, tonight or tomorrow. But they get here tomorrow night late. So it's a long trip for them. But uh, we've missed them. But they're having a very productive time of ministry down there <coughs> with uh, Pastor Jonathan Steeper, our friend from years ago, used to pastor here in Moncton. If you were here last week, we spoke on, uh, the scripture was Matthew 26, but we spoke about the olive press, and in ancient Israel, and it still exists today, there are olive press that consists of three stages, and each of those stages really were representative of what Jesus submitted himself to in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he went to the cross for us. And we spoke last week, you can uh, listen online if you didn't hear, but we spoke last week of just how God uses that press in order to enable us, just like he did with Jesus, to overcome those struggles in our lives or those things that really rob us of his highest purpose for us or for our lives. Life isn't easy, and as the scripture says, we wage war against our flesh, we wage war against the devil, we wage war against the world spirit that's always trying to entice us to other things other than what God has for us, God's best. And so what Jesus modeled was that we are to bring our struggles because as Jesus went to the garden that night, he said that his spirit within him was crushed. There was great agony that he was going through as he realized what was before him. But the key was that Jesus brought his struggles to the Father. He came into the Father's presence where he received strength. His struggle was not with God. His struggle was with the enemy. His struggle was trying to thwart him. His struggle was against his own flesh that wanted its own way. And so Jesus brought all of that before the Father and said, Father, I want to do what you've sent me to do because I know your way is best. And three times he went before the Father. And every time he was crushed more and more and more, you might say, in, in his flesh, those things that were coming against him, the Father had a process by which he just squeezed those things out so that Jesus was able to come out of that prayer time in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he was able to accomplish the work the Father gave him to do. And we just saw how important that is for us to understand and apply in our own lives because so often we face life's challenges. We think either God doesn't love us or something's gone wrong, I've done something wrong, and you know, we, we, just, we tend to almost get angry at the Lord rather than saying, hey, God is working something in my life. There's a reason for this. I need to bring this to the Father, work this out in his presence, receive strength from him to be true to him and be true to what I know. And then, as Romans says, that all these things work together for the good to those who love the Lord and to those who are the called according to his purpose. He works those things in us. So we just saw how important it was for us as believers to submit ourselves to that press, just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the name Gethsemane, of course, which means the olive press. And so just it's a wonderful way that God works into our lives. I wanted to kind of continue on with this theme 
uh, because we saw that in the garden that night, uh, as Hebrews tells us, that Jesus was able to endure the agony of the cross and conquer its humiliation. And I want us to understand this morning that Jesus was not an exception. So often people look at Jesus and say, well, he's the son of God and he was sinless and all these different things. And so he's kind of the exception. But he's not our exception. He's our example. And that's why he said time and time and again, I rely completely on the Father. I rely on the Holy Spirit. There's nothing I do in my own strength. He wanted us to understand how, how incredibly reliable he, relying he was on the Father because he's our example as well. The scripture also says that his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that we would be his. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And then he says that his joy would fill our hearts to overflowing. John 15, as we learn to bring those struggles to the Father, whereas Hebrews 4 says we find the grace that we need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. I want to kind of piggyback on last week's message and deal with another topic that I think relates to it. <clears throat> and that has to do with the fact that all of us live in a society, we live in a culture we are just inundated every single day by people who masterfully know how to advertise and promote all the things that we just can't live without, right? I mean, every single day we are just flooded with, with commercials and promotions of all these things that we deserve. doesn't matter whether you can afford it, right? But if you, you know, you deserve it. And if you can't afford it, if you can't spend 500 bucks a month, don't worry about it. It's only $125 a week. We'll fit you in there. We'll, we'll make sure that you can, you can enjoy this thing because you work hard and you're entitled to it. And so that same spirit not only dangles these things in front of us, but it always is coaxing us to go after these things, to go after these good things. We've even embraced that attitude in the church. We call it the favor of the Lord. Have you heard that expression, the favor of the Lord? If it's good, then it must be in line with God's will for you. Amen? That's how you know it's God's will. If it's good, then it must be God's will for you. I read a book a couple years ago, ago by a prominent uh, television uh, preacher whom I think is a great guy, but I think he's really messed up in this area. But basically, he wrote in his book, he said, when I drive around the parking lot at the mall, he says, the favor of the Lord always finds me the closest place to the door. And I'm thinking, is that the same Lord who said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve? And to give my life? You see, we have this strange idea of what the Lord's favor is, of what really the Lord intends for us oftentimes in life. I want to ask us this morning, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean to live for the Lord? Is it only about experiencing a good life? Is walking with Jesus only about making sure, you know, I've got this power pack on my side, I've got this insurance policy in my pocket, just to make sure that when things get difficult, I can pull that out, because God's plan for me is that everything's always good. And if it's good, then God must be in it. It must be his will for me. Well, Jesus was confronted by that idea in Mark chapter 10, when a wealthy young man came to him, and he said one day, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when you read the story, if you're like me, you're kind of surprised initially by Jesus' response, and I think this wealthy young man is, was as well, because when he came to Jesus, he uses the term good with the intention of honoring Jesus. Good teacher, what do I have to do to know that I'm a child of God and that I'm going to heaven? And Jesus checks him with this question. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
Now, why in the world would Jesus correct him? Was Jesus saying he's not good? Of course not. Why did he say this then? I believe because he wanted to underline the fact that this man's standard of good was entirely different from God's standard of good. He had his standard, God has his, and the two were not the same. In fact, if you read the rest of the story, you see that the young man went on when Jesus asked him that. The young man went on to just list all the good things that he did, all the laws that he observed, all the the biblical things that he, he tried to fulfill in his life. He listed all the things that showed that he was a good man who lived a good life. But he left out one thing which Jesus pointed to, and the one thing that Jesus pointed to revealed that his true allegiance was not to God, His true allegiance was actually to a value system that leaves God out. That's where his heart really was. And the man walked away very sad because Jesus and Jesus' heart was broken for him. Jesus would have loved for the man to have followed him and inherited eternal life. But Jesus knew the stronghold in his life. You see, we can say who our God is. We can worship the Lord. We can stand here and say, oh, what a wonderful Savior. But if you really want to know, as somebody has wisely said a long time ago, if you really want to know who your God is, just open your checkbook. It just shows where your priorities are. It shows where your heart is. It shows what kingdom that you actually serve. And so most people in our culture, they presume to be pretty good judges between what is good and what is not good. And once again, many Christians uh, seem to assume that if something appears to be good, then it must either be of God or it must be okay with God. That's really the extent for a lot of professing Christians as to how they discern the will of God. If everything is going well, well, I guess God has opened the door. It must be God's will. If things aren't going well, not working out, well, I guess God shut the door and it must not be his will. But if that is true, if good is so obvious, then why does the Bible say in Hebrews 5, That everyone who lives on milk, just like inhumans, is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Children, infants, toddlers drink milk. But solid food is for the mature. What's the mark of the mature? Read it with me. For those who have their powers of discernment trained to distinguish what is good from what is harmful. That's the difference. That's the difference of infancy and maturity in the spirit. We've often said it, but the mark of a mature follower of Jesus Christ is simply this. It's how long it takes you to obey the Lord. That's the mark of maturity. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, hey, this is the way you need to walk, how quick does it take you? When he wants to check your attitude or check your thoughts, how long does it take you to submit? That's the really the mark of your maturity in the Lord. You see, if we need discernment to tell the difference between what is good and what is harmful, it means that what is good for us is not always obvious on the surface. We can be deceived. There are things that seem good but aren't. How many of us have ever made the mistake of committing ourselves to something that seemed good at the time? But it wasn't. And we ended up somewhere that we did not really want to be. It might be relational, it might be financial, it could be spiritual, whatever. But it just kind of seemed good at the time. You see, we have our own idea oftentimes of what constitutes a good life. But according to Hebrews 5, what the Lord says is a good life is a discerning life. A good life is a discerning life. We look in Genesis chapter 3, the classic story. What was it that enticed Adam and Eve away from their relationship with God. 
what was it that enticed them to eat of the forbidden tree? Thousands of trees in the garden, God says, knock yourself out, it's all for you. This one tree, no. No, because I want to know that you serve me out of, the, out of the desire of your heart, not because you have to. So this one tree, this forbidden tree, you can't eat. But what enticed them to disobey? What enticed them to throw away the relationship with God and all the good that God had for them? What was it? Was it something evil that they saw? Or was it the good that they saw in the forbidden tree? Listen to what Genesis says. When the woman saw that the tree was good for her, and by the way, it wasn't the woman's fault only. Because the scripture goes on to say, and she gave some to the man who was with her. What does that mean? He's more guilty. Because what was the man doing? He was stepping back and saying, we're not supposed to eat of it. So I'm going to let her try it and see if anything happens to her. And if something obvious happens to her, hey, then I'm scot-free. But if not, then I guess it's okay. He just used her as a guinea pig. Okay, so he's more guilty. He's the one that actually received the command directly from the Lord. She hadn't been created by then. Or, or whether, whether he'd given, given the, the direction to her, rather, to him, rather, rather than just the two of them. And so he goes on to say this. This is very important. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now, I want you to think for a moment. This was done by two people who were sinless. Now, think about that. They weren't broken people. You know, they didn't come from bad backgrounds. They weren't messed up in any way, whatever. They, they were two sinless, brilliant people who fell for this. They saw something as good, as pleasant, and desirable, and it robbed them of their intimacy with God and everything God had for them. And you know what the reality is? Many of us in the body of Christ today, we use the same criteria to determine whether or not something is from God or whether or not we should partake. And yet the reality is that oftentimes what seems to be good for us can actually be detrimental to us and to our relationship with the Lord. You see, we are not deceived most times by something that is blatantly evil, are we? We can pretty much tell if something is obviously wrong. If we have any brains, we tend to stay away from that. But what we're deceived by is evil that's disguised as good. And there's a big difference. We miss God's good by settling for what appears to be good, but is something that God knows is not good for us. It may be harmful for us at that moment or harmful for what he has for us and robbing us of that. Take Peter, for example. I mean, wouldn't you think that it would be a good thing to want to save your friend's life? Wouldn't that sound like a good thing? I mean, you would sound so concerned and, and loving and, you know, just, just I'm a, you're my best friend. I want to make sure nothing bad happens to you. Well, when Jesus told the disciples that he's going to be put to death in Jerusalem, what did Peter do? Peter took him aside, the Bible says in Matthew 16, and he says, Lord, I paraphrase, God would never let that happen to you. And that's the extent to a lot of our theology. Oh, this would be difficult. It can't be God's will. You might have to change a little bit for this. This can't be God's will. This, this might make you uncomfortable. This might make you kind of, you know, take a, sec, a back seat in your relationship. Oh, that can't be God. 
Peter was saying the same thing to Jesus, but Jesus rebukes him in verse 23, and he says this, Peter, get away from me. Satan is using you to lay a trap for me. You don't care about what God wants. You care about what you think is important yourself. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, in the life choices that I make, is it enough for me if I want to follow Jesus? Is it enough for me to base my decisions solely on what seems good or what seems good enough? Think about that for a moment. Is it possible that we are missing some very important things that the Lord has for us because we assume to know what is good and what's not good? What are we missing out that the Lord has for us because he has our best in mind, but oftentimes we create a theology that is absent from the relationship with the Lord. We think we have it all figured out. We know how to live a good life. And so we base decisions on what seems to be good without really giving thought as to whether or not it's God's good or if it's just our good. What we want, what we want to do, what we want to have, how we want to use what God has given to us. Friends, hear me this morning. There is a good that will lead you away from God. If it can happen to them, it can happen to us. The Bible warns us in Proverbs 14. There is a way that seems right and good, but its end is the way of death. It looks good, but it will wind you up somewhere that you don't want to be. I remember Howard Hendricks, I've shared the story I think a long time ago, but he pastored for some 40 years, and he said this in his retirement. He said, I have been at the bedside of many people leaving this world in the hospital. He said, I've never yet heard one person say, I wish I had more things. I wish I had a bigger house, a nicer car. Oh, I wish I had more money. I wish I'd played more golf, whatever the list may be. No, time and time again, he says, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. If they're Christians, I wish I'd pursued God's will for my life. I wish I'd given my life to things that will last forever, but I haven't. Pursued good things that people say are acceptable and good, and yet leaving this world with a heart full of regret. Adam and Eve, they lived in an environment that was perfect, and they still got messed up. This is what the Apostle Paul says when he wrote to spirit-filled believers. These are Christians he's writing to in the church in Corinth. In the second letter he writes, I'm afraid that exactly as the snake seduced Eve with his smooth babble, that you are being lured away from what? From the simple purity of your love for Christ. That's what I'm afraid of. What's he saying? You people who maybe have come out of your own religions, pagan religions or Jewish religions, whatever it may be, you are used to religion, used to the rules, used to knowing how you're supposed to live and not live what you're supposed to do and not to. I'm afraid that you came into a relationship with the living God where every day you get to talk with him, hear from him, be led by him. It's not religion, right? It's a relationship. I fear that you've allowed yourselves to be lured out of that loving, simple relationship of being in love with Jesus Christ. You've allowed yourself to be lured out of that, and you've settled for a lifestyle. That's just good enough. It's good. Here's the, I'm a Christian. Here's the good things I do. I'm, I'm a Christian. Here's the bad things I don't do. Oh, do I know Jesus? Well, it's been a long time since we've talked. But at least I do these things. I fear the enemy like Adam and Eve has lured you away from the simplicity of your love 
for Jesus. That's what he brought us into. And again, they're in this perfect environment that's just filled with the presence of God. And yet Satan manages to lure them away from God and to throw away all the good that God had for them. And if Satan can deceive them who lived in a perfect environment, then friends, he can deceive you and me who live in a perverted environment. If that is the environment that we allow to entice our hearts, if that is the environment that we allow to influence our choices, you see, when the Bible says greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, than the world spirit who comes against you, that is true. The question is, which spirit are we giving ourselves to? Which spirit do we allow to dictate to us what is good, what is valuable, what is important? Is it the Holy Spirit who will check our hearts, who will lead us if we submit to him? Or is it the world spirit that says, hey, you're entitled Hey, hey, no, this is all yours to spend on yourself. Enjoy life. This is just a favor of the Lord. And friends, we can have lots of good experiences. Don't get me wrong. I'll wrap up in a few minutes and, and bring, bring it home. We can have lots of wonderful experiences, but don't ever let the good experiences make you think that you're experiencing all that God has for you. There's a big difference. Not always. He may, he may be in some of those things, but there's many things that we allow to rob us of the real good that God has. I think that's why James writes what he does in chapter 1. He says, so my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. Every gift God freely gives us is what? Good and perfect. Now where's it coming from? Every gift God gives us is good and perfect. Streaming down from the Father of lights who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. In other words, God is good. He doesn't change. He doesn't surprise you. He is who he tells you he is. There's no hidden surprises. You can depend on him. But James warns about this deception, and then he describes the antidote. What is the antidote for us being deceived? What is the antidote for us continually missing what it is that God has for us? The antidote to being deceived by the world spirit today is a revelation of the goodness of God. That is the antidote. Everything that is truly good, James says, it comes down from God who is always good. Let me say that again. Everything that is truly good for you comes from God who is always good. Notice James didn't say that most good gifts come from God. Underline that. What did James say? Every good gift comes from God. Not most, but every. In other words, you don't need to go outside of God to find the good that God has from you. Or to put it another way, there is nothing good for you outside of God. Now, I know that's easy to say amen to, but some of you are thinking, that's extreme. Because you see, when I say that, what a lot of us are thinking is religion. Oh, okay, so what you're saying, Pastor, is that I just can't do anything outside of church. So, so I've got to kind of, you know, go full-time ministry or full-time monastery or something if I'm really going to please God. No, no, no. There's a whole lot of good that God has for us. And there's a whole lot of good that is woven through the fabric of everyday life. 
a lot of good things. But we've got to understand there is a good from God for you. And that's what you want to lay hold of. That's what I want to lay hold of. I don't want to just go through life. What did Peter preach on the day of Pentecost? He stood up and he said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And again, he's not talking about people. He's talking about a world spirit. He's talking about a world spirit that if you believe, if you buy into, that world spirit will have you zigzagging through life trying to find happiness that it promises, but it never delivers. Time and time again, we're told by the spirit of our culture, this is what you need. This is what you have to have. If you really want to be happy like we shared last week, you need to get out of the relationship and get free, whatever the lie may be. And you'll follow that because why? Most people around the water cool at work, they'll agree with you. Oh, yeah, honey, he's a bum. Leave him. They don't know your life. They could give two rips about you. But that's the spirit of our culture. There's no wisdom. There's no insight. There's no revelation from God. And so it's not that we can't enjoy good things in life. The question we have to ask ourselves is in the pursuit of what is good, in the settling of what is good, are we missing the good that God has for me? Because I promise you, when God has a good for you, the enemy is going to come with a counterfeit good. See it all the time. The list is too long. It would take too much time to go through it this morning. Because you see, it doesn't matter how good something appears to be. It doesn't matter how happy it makes you feel. It doesn't matter how much you can spiritualize it. It doesn't matter how much is accepted by everything, everybody else. If the good is not streaming down from God for you, then it's a counterfeit good. Now, if we really believe this, then we need a reliable source for our standard of good. We can't rely on what seems to be good. We need to know what God calls good for us. And the reason I say that, I'm not talking about that nonsense of, you know, well, this is my truth. No, no, truth is truth. <laughs> truth is truth. You just got to line yourself up with truth. It's not a matter of, you know, of, of your own truth, but it's a matter of us understanding that, that just because something is good and it may even be permissible for somebody else, it doesn't mean it automatically is for you. If you have a relationship with God, right, there's certain things he has for you. There's a certain place you may be in your walk right now that he says, for this time, for this season, for you, that is not the good I intend for you. This is the good that I want you to know and I want you to walk in because I'm doing something personally in your life. Now, God has given us two resources to make sure that we don't end up in a place where we don't want to be. The first one is mentioned in 2 Timothy 3. We know the scripture while I'm reading the Passion, uh, the Passion Translation. Paul wrote to Timothy, every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to do what? To take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. What Paul is saying is that a full revelation of who God is and what he has for us, it is available to every single one of us here this morning if we will examine the truth of his word. I've said it many times, but it bears repeating. The word of God is not a book of rules. The word of God is a book of truths, right? When you love your children, you don't have just rules for them. Those rules are full of love, but they only need rules at a certain age. If they will mature, they don't need the rules anymore. Why? Because they know your heart. 
and they understand that what you're sharing, communicating with them is truth. And they can say, okay, I may not understand everything, but I know my folks love me and they speak truth to me, so I'm going to obey them. I'm going to trust what they say is true. The Lord wants to get us out of the rules into truth. That is part of maturing. That's why it's so exciting to hear stories from people who've been applying some of the principles that we taught in their Hearing God series. Or, or been, they've been journaling or practicing listening prayer, quiet time. It's wonderful to hear many of the stories because it's not about fulfilling religious duties. It's about connecting with God. It's about the, the word of God having a transforming power in our lives that actually shapes us. You see, every second... That Eve listened to the devil's lies. Every second he allowed the enemy's whispers to permeate her thoughts. Her desire to do what looked good grew. That's what happens when you entertain the enemy. That's what happens when you don't feed on the truth of God's word. You don't have the light of his revelation in your heart. You listen to the enemy. And he doesn't come to you disguised as evil. He doesn't come and say, hey, do this. By the way, you're going to miss out on that, but do this anyway. No, he doesn't do that. He comes with a counterfeit that looks good. And just like Eve, if we allow ourselves to listen, then that desire to do what looks good grows. And the more she listened, the more she believed that God was keeping something good from her. And the more she convinced herself that God was keeping something good from her, the more she justified uh, the, the choice that she was going to make, a choice that forever was going to change her life. Can anybody relate to Eve? Am I the only one? Like, really? Yeah, you're kind of going, like, insert my name in the story. Because circumstances can cause us to wonder if God really has our best in mind. You ever find yourself in something like that? But if you, instead of turning to God like we shared last week, if you, instead of being in his word, in his presence, where he has an opportunity to speak truth to your heart, instead of you keep entertaining the thought, hey, if God really loved me, or where is God, or how come? Now, you can have those thoughts if you bring them to the Lord, because then you can sort them out in, a, in an atmosphere of truth and perspective. But if you're just on your own and you give yourself to those thoughts and you wonder if he really does have your best at heart, Especially if something looks really good and it doesn't work out. What's wrong with you, God? Now, keep in mind that you are questioning the God who knows the end from the beginning. Who looks in, who's in the future already. He knows where this is going to lead. God, how could you possibly, and if God could, you know, kind of just show us everything, which we love sometimes, he'd say, well, see, this decision is going to lead to this, to this, to this, to this. See, I'm right here. But this decision is going to zigzag you out here. So bring your questions, bring your concerns, bring them to me, but bring them in the light of my word and I will speak to you. The Bible says in Psalm 136, God is good and his love never fails. And friends, we need to meditate on that and many other scriptures like that because the more you get to know him, the more you discover that he's good. And friends, that is a revelation we need to have this morning again. He's not good based on the good that happens to us. He's good. No, he's good. He's just good. We sang about it this morning, right? The wrath of God was satisfied in the death of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If he did nothing else for me, 
The fact that I'm not going to hell because he took my sin on him so my debt could be paid and I could be forgiven and I could be his child and he could live in me and I could live forever if nothing else happened in this life. He's pretty good. I would say he's good. And you see, we need to know according to God's word. We need to be in his word to understand the heart of God. Because the devil will come to you and say, this is happening, therefore God must be. And your heart can rise up and say, you're a liar, devil. I know my God. I don't know what's happening right now. I don't know why, but I know him. And I know he loves me. I know he is good. I know he never changes. There's no shadow in him. There's no hidden agenda in him. There's nothing dark in him. The darkness is in you. I'm not allowing your darkness in me. I'm going to, if I've got any questions, any concerns, any struggles, I'm going to bring them to him. And we're going to sort this out together. But I'm not talking to you. I don't mean to sound simplistic this morning, friends, but that's where so many of life battles are won or lost. It's who we turn to. That's why James says again, listen, submit yourself, surrender to God first. And then in his strength, you can stand up against the devil and he will run. Not you, he will run. But it all depends where you turn first. So if you don't want to keep being fooled by the counterfeit good the devil is always trying to sell you, then you have to commit to looking beyond what seems obvious. And pressing in to discover the good that God has waiting for you. That's why we're told to wait on the Lord. God's not a microwave. Nothing important ever is. Learn to wait on the Lord. Learn to come into his presence on a regular basis. Don't worry about praying about things more than once or talking to the Lord about things more than once. Work things out with him. It's a relationship. And he will guide you. So the one source he has given us is his word. And the second source God has given us to know good, Jesus talked about it in Matthew 6.33. He said this. We know the translation. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you, right? Here's what another translation says. Go hard after God, and the good things he originally intended for your life will follow. I like that translation. Go hard after God, and everything he has for you is going to follow. Let me ask you this morning, and I want you to really think about this, and I want to wrap up with this thought. What is your ultimate goal in life? We don't think about that often, but think about it. What is your ultimate goal in life? If you don't know what it is, open your checkbook. What is your ultimate goal in life? Is it comfort? Is it pleasure? Is it a certain lifestyle? Is it health? Happiness. Most of us like all these things. That's understandable. But what one desire outweighs every other desire? What one thing? And it's important to understand what it is. Because your primary desire has a predetermined destination. And the one thing that you truly give yourself to that truly is the desire of your heart, will determine your destination. To use Paul's language in Philippians 3, he says we are all pressing toward some goal. We all are, aren't we? We all have a goal. If we just think about it, now we may have aspirations. 
We may have certain things, like if I just asked you, what's your primary goal? You say, well, I really wish it was or I'd like it to be. But be honest, what is your primary goal this morning? I had a real nice goal a little while ago. My goal was, I just came before the Lord time and time again and said, Lord, I just want to touch people with your love. I just want to be used by you to touch people, to love people, to see people get healed up, to see things get fixed up. That's my goal, Lord. That's what I, that's what I love. Isn't that a wonderful goal? You can shake your head. Isn't that godly? Isn't that spiritual? You know who else had a goal like that? Judas. Yeah, Judas left everything to follow Jesus. Judas seemed to love what Jesus was preaching, loved to see the miracles, saw more things than I'll ever see probably or ever saw so far. And you know what? Today Judas is in hell. Why do you think about that? So I've changed my goal. Got a new goal that I think is good. In Exodus 33, Moses has been walking with God for like 80 years, leading God's people through the wilderness for some 40 years. Finally, the time has come to enter the promised land. God told Moses he's going to drive the enemy out of Canaan. His people are going to take possession of the country that flows with milk and honey. Moses, go for it. It's all there waiting for you. There's only one catch. God says, I'm not going with you. I'm going to send a mighty angel with you, but I won't be going with you. And what does Moses say? Verse 15, he basically says this, God if I have to choose between your blessing and your presence, I want your presence. If you don't go with us, I don't want to go. But listen to what Moses said as well. He said, Lord, if you don't go with us, we won't be different than any other nation. You hear me this morning? We won't be different than anybody else. Oh, we'll have a religion. We'll have the ritual and the animal sacrifices. We'll do all the kind of things that other nations do. We'll have the religion. They got religion. But we won't have you. And I wonder in our culture today, in the body of Christ, in the Western church, if the same could not be said of us. Oh, Lord, we've got everything the world has. Why? Because we want everything the world has. We want all the same stuff. We use the same criteria to what is good. We've even called it the favor of the Lord. So, Lord, we don't really need you. We do, but we don't. Sound familiar? Need you around. I don't want to be too harsh this morning, but, but friends, I just think that's the reality of the body of Christ today. We need to go back to the place that we say, Lord, I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for what I enjoy. But we need to say like the Apostle Paul, Lord, whether I prosper or I'm in poverty, I'll serve you. It's not about this stuff. And in fact, Lord, as I move through this life, I'm not going to take my cues from the spirit of this world. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit through your word to tell me whether or not this is your good. Because every good thing that you have for me comes directly from you to me. That's what I want to know. That's what I want to lay hold of. In fact, some of us this last couple of years have been stepping on. The Lord's been doing or showing you some pretty neat things. 
of just things that God can do when you step out, things God can do when you obey, when you pray with someone, when you share the love of Christ with somebody, when you step outside of your comfort and listen to him, he can do some pretty neat things. But you know what? It's not long before the same devil who deceived Adam and Eve begins to lure you away and say, yeah, but you know what? If you're going to live in that, gee, you got to spend you know, more time with the Lord. There's stuff that's got to come out of your life. There's, you know, kind of whatever the case may be. And what does he do? He lures you back in to a nice Christian lifestyle that has lots of good things, but is probably missing the good that God really has for us because of the spirit that we oftentimes will listen to. You see, for Moses, his ultimate goal was simply to know God intimately. And I ask you, the same thing could be said of us this morning. What is God's good? God's good is for us to experience his presence firsthand. Not just in some ethereal way when we feel his presence and the musicians are, are playing. He wants us to personally experience him. To have time with him, to know him, to know his voice, to be led by him, to worship him, to be in the word, to get to know him better, to allow his word to shape us so we become more like him. Friends, it's not about religion or obligation. It's about pursuing a relationship with him. And don't believe the devil. It's never one-sided. A relationship with God is not about you and me trying to convince God to show up. Oh, God, I'd like to know you. Here I am. Would you zap me? It's not about that. Listen to what James says in chapter 4. The spirit that God breathed into our hearts, the Holy Spirit, is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. That's how God feels about us. Every one of us. That's how much he wants you to experience him. And hear me, friends. It is that relationship that will protect you from being lured away by the temptation to pursue things that will lead your heart from God. It's that relationship. It's nothing else. It's not a great church service. It's not somebody else's inspiring message. It's not that at all. It is only your relationship. It is only your relationship with God when the time of decision comes and you say, this looks good, and God says, it's not good for you. No, no, but I want to buy this. No, you don't need it. I want you to be free. No, no, but i got to have this. Here's another one. Oh, that person must be from God because they're really attractive. God's got to be in this. I'm not exaggerating. In more than a handful of times in my ministry, I've actually sat down with individuals who have said, married people who have said, I married the wrong person. And I've met the person at work that God wants for me. I got to tell you, I want to slap him. I just feel the spirit of slap come over me. I just, what in God's name are you thinking? Now, please understand, I have sympathy because I know how the enemy deceives us. So I'm, I'm kind of saying that tongue in cheek, kind of. But you understand what I'm saying? If you think that's funny, would you just pause for a moment and think, what lies have I believed? What lies have I believed about my marriage, about my finances, about God's will for me, about what is, whatever? What have I believed? What spirit am I listening to? Our simple message is blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That's the message we've got to tell the world. The world doesn't need religion. They need to know that Jesus can be theirs.
Does that mean I can't enjoy anything in the world? Worship team, would you join me as we wrap up? Does it mean that I can't enjoy some of the good things that look to be out there? No. You see, as a married man, I can have interaction with a person of the opposite sex. I can have acquaintances of the opposite sex. But what I can't do is I can never open my heart to another woman. That's the difference. I can have an acquaintance, but I can't give you my heart. And if I want to stay close to God, if I want to know his good for me, then I need to guard my relationship with him in the same way. And that means learning to say no to some things that may be good, pastimes, entertainment, whatever it may be. I've got to learn to say no to those things. But you know what? I gladly say no to those things to keep my focus on Jesus and what he says is good for me. Because I know that no matter what I give up for him, it doesn't compare to what I have in him and what he's growing in me and what he wants to do through me. Don't be lured away from the simple purity of your love for Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your presence. I thank you, Lord, that you offer yourself to us, not just a feeling. You want to be to us everything we sing about, everything we read in your word. That's your heart to us that we have a living faith, that we know, that we know, that we know that we're your daughter, we're your son, we're your child. Nobody can take that away. We know that. I thank you that's your heart toward us. I thank you that you didn't come to bring religion. Jesus, you came to bring us back to the Father and to live our lives out of a response of that loving relationship. Holy Spirit, I pray you just have your way in our hearts here this morning before we go. Every head is bowed. I want to ask you simply this morning, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't have that relationship. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm just inviting you this morning to open your heart to the God who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you and wants to show you how to live. If you're here this morning, would you just slip your hand? Nobody's looking around. Just slip your hand. Say, Pastor, that's me. Or just catch my eye and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to open my heart. Bless you bless you. Anyone else this morning? Just lift your hand up if I haven't caught you already. I just want to open my heart to the Lord. Bless you. Yes. Every head bowed. How many believers would raise their hand with me and say, Pastor, yeah, if I'm honest, I settle for a lot of good stuff, but I don't know if it's God. In fact, I've made some good decisions that have landed me in bad places that I regret. Yeah, honest enough, I think we all can raise our hands. And I want to encourage us this morning to get back to the simplicity of relationship with Jesus. Every good gift comes from him, tailored for you, but it's in the relationship that you discover what his good is for you and for your marriage and for your finances, for your children. Every decision you make, he has a good for you. Don't worry what's acceptable to anybody else. He has a relationship and a purpose for you, and he wants you to discover his good. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come as we stand. Can we stand together before we slip out this morning?